I come home in the morning light. My mother says, when are you going to live your life right? Oh, mother dear, we're not the fortunate ones. And girls, they want to have fun. Welcome, everybody, to the Good Bottle Podcast. I am your host, Chris Sinclair, with my co-host. Drew Garrison. That was perfect. Like, the where, where you cut that off was amazing. Because it was right at that moment where you figure out what the song is. And then you got right into the show. And that might be your best intro ever. Well, that's it. We knew that uh, I was quitting after this one anyway, so this is perfect. It is It is true, because we're bringing in a, a brand new um, guest guest host, which is going to be your replacement. <laughs> she, <laughs> she, you can you can find her bartending at the Snug and or the Doobie Bar right now. She's also slinging that Bonas Mezcal. Our friend tonight joining us is uh, Julie Figueres. They nail it. Hi. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> that was like really I awkward. wrote it down. It was, was really, well because I was really I, awkward. I literally read it the way I wrote it, and I realized I should have practiced it a second before. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh no, this is this is how we go." Um, Julie, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us tonight on the Good Bottle Podcast. We look forward to getting your your opinion on on the top stories that we're going to do. But but to start it off, what are you drinking? Uh, right now, thank you for having me. Uh, very honored to be here. And right now I'm drinking the, uh, the Bunnes Pechuga, uh, which is a Pechuga using turkey breast with a, a variety of fruits. Um, so it's a really interesting Espadine-based Pechuga from the Bunnes portfolio. Do you, do you, I imagine that most of our listeners will already know, but do you want to briefly explain what a Pechuga is? Sure, certainly. So uh, we, rather than uh, traditional mezcal, where you're just uh, distilling the uh, fermented agave, we are uh, distilling uh, agave along with a an animal hanging in the still. It is designed um, and is culturally a celebratory spirit that is within the mezcal realm. Um, Typically, it's something that a, a mezcalero within his community, he will distill this once a year and you go and you get your pachucas and, and they're brought as gifts or offerings for celebratory occasions like weddings, graduations, children, being born, things of that nature. And uh, uh, as my first podcast uh, experience, I thought that the, a little bit of a, a celebratory spirit made a lot of sense. Um, you can use any animal. Uh, or an elote, if you're going to do a vegetarian um, style pachuga. Ours uses turkey breast and, and fruit, as I mentioned. Those are super cool. I love pachugas, especially ones that incorporate fruits and stuff like that. And um, so, with this one, you mentioned that the meat is hanging above the distillate, and you know, mm -hmm. as the as the the vapors rise, they pass through the meat. Um, with the fruit. Is that also suspended or is that go, do you know yeah. if it goes directly into the distillate? It is. It's, it's hanging in uh, for those who understand gin distillation, but I, the closest thing I would compare it to is like a gin basket of uh, macerated cool. okay. fruit. Yeah. And then our, our fruit is uh, plantains, guavas, crab apples, cherries, and pineapples. So it's a very tropical uh, pachuga, you get a lot of that fruit up on the nose, and then the salinity from that turkey breast is is nice and clean on the back end. Not a super gamey pachuga, which I prefer. 
Yeah, that's awesome. I like I said, I I really really enjoy um, different types of you know they refer to them almost sometimes as like vegan pachugas, which I think is hilarious. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, but I love those pachugas because sometimes with with the meat ones, it can kind of round off the mezcal to where yeah. it takes away those sharp edges, which I really appreciate about a mezcal. That's what I love about it. I love my palate to be challenged. So to yeah. take something that's going to add, you know, like you said, kind of that the viscosity to it, a little bit more mouthfeel, but then also still add flavor elements through the guava and different in the plantains. Like that's just awesome. And I don't think I've had that one. So we'll we have to, to meet up it. soon. Yeah. Yeah. We need to <laughs> remedy that as, as quickly as possible. That's, um, a, yeah. that's surprising to me, Drew. That's a, that's, that's that's literally surprising to me that you haven't had that. Well, I I know I've sat. I actually went to Julie's first training that she did as the Bonas rep, I, I believe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you and, did. Um, and and I didn't know that until after the training, and I was blown away. I was like, oh my god, like what a what a little rock star um to to talk with it I and mean, i don't remember if we tried the pachuga that time I, I i mean i remember having the tepestate you know and of course the ensemble which is you know an amazing workhorse mezcal everyday drinker it's great um but i don't remember if we had the pachuga or not we we would have and it would have been last so i'm not necessarily surprised that it maybe got lost in that tasting since it's kind of at, at the end of the tasting when your your palate's a little bit more blown out because we do so many um, right. mezcals in our in our lineup. Uh, and that I remember being both consumer and industry, so it was also uh, a lot of Q and A. So I think that one might have been kind of thrown at the end when people were a little bit uh, ready to drink cocktails and not just hear me rant about how much I love mezcal. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll definitely take the L on that because I for sure would have been in that position to be like, all right, let's keep drinking, you know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll, re we'll revisit it again soon. Deal. We have a couple of things that we have to go back and forth with in terms of mezcal. So we got, we got like a running list right now. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Chris, what are, what are you drinking, bud? I'm drinking uh, La Diablada uh, Pisco. I love it. I'll say that five times fast. La Diablada. There you go. That's great. Uh, it's super classic. Um, uh, uh, Pisco. This is the Achilado, um, uh from Peru. This is clean. It's dry. It's a little spicy, still a little fruity. Um, not, not overly like fragrant. And I fucking love it. It's one of my, one of my favorites. Awesome. Did you just cheers yourself? I did. Yep. I felt I felt good about that uh, that description, and um, I thought I <laughs> I don't I would have my own celebratory moment, much like Julie, and uh, and uh, you know I'm in a room by myself. I miss having you guys here. Otherwise, I would cheers you. But you know, as of right now, this Fair. is what I got. Fair. What are you drinking, Drew? Yeah. Um. Well, I feel like I totally screwed the pooch on this one now compared to your guys' celebratory pours. Um, but I was, I was inspired by one of our stories tonight. And as I was looking at my, you know, liquor wall, I was just like, Oh man, what should I, which I would have had in a long time. And so I grabbed a bottle of the Kinahan's Irish whiskey. Um, and this is, this is a, our only Irish whiskey in our portfolio. And it's just, I look at it as like an elevated um, Jameson. It's just a little bit more 
you know, body to it. It's, it's unshow filtered. Um, so there's, you know, there's some nice oiliness to it as well. Kinahan's was a old brand that disappeared, uh, back in the early 1900s due to, you know, prohibition. And then also some of the, some of the embargoes that the UK put onto Ireland. So it was a brand that was gone for years despite its popularity. And then has recently, you know, got bought up by a firm and, they took the brand name and are rebuilding it. So they do this one, which is their small batch, which is kind of more of your traditional Irish. And then they also do a single malt, which is which is a really nice, fun expression. Um, you know, it's an easy drinker, like like a lot of Irish whiskeys tend to be. So I wanted to sip on that tonight. And, you know, had I known we were going to get so celebratory, I might have beefed it up a little bit. But, you know, this is, I, I, you know, now that I'm drinking it, I'm kind of like, okay, I'm into this. I'm okay with the decision. So that's what I'm drinking. Well, in order to make it celebratory, all you need to do is just cheers yourself. That's the, <laughs> that's the secret. I do have a topo. I do have a topo chico right next to it. Oh, perfect. There we go. Hey, so, now it's a party. Yeah, yeah, topo chico. It's the, it's the key to everything. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so with all of that said, why don't we go ahead and jump into those headlines? And that was us pausing for effect and music <laughs> things. Um, so, so our first story does actually have to do with Irish whiskey and the the thriving Irish whiskey, actually. And it's it's not necessarily your Jamesons of the world because obviously Jameson is every, everywhere, but uh, you know more of your elevated offerings. So your Red Breast Twenty Fives, your your Yellow Spot, your Red Spots. Um, and the list goes on and on. What through what we're seeing across the United States right now is, for example, red breast bringing up 20% over last year, and those numbers are being reflected across the entire industry. Everybody is showing significant growth. So, with that being the case, Chris, I wanted to ask you: Have you has that translated to your bottle shop yet? Do you have people coming in for Irish whiskey, but not asking for you know, the stuff they're looking to throw into Irish copies, but more so those elevated ones, the, you know, the 15s, the 21s, the, your more elevated Irish, Irish whiskey offerings. Sort of, I think is the <laughs> easiest way to say it. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. Uh, we, we have, we have so many different Irish whiskeys that come and go. I'm a huge fan of, um, uh, of the, uh, the spot series, um, uh, the green spot, yellow spot, red spot. Um, I, I'm a huge fan of that. I think it's, it's absolutely incredible Irish whiskey. And, um, we tend to keep those in stock, but it's not one that people really know. And some, when, I don't know when people ask for Irish whiskeys, I'll see like 10 people in like two weeks who come in and ask for Irish whiskeys and then no one for like a month or two and then 10 people in a week and then no one again for another month or two. And it's really confusing. And I don't, I don't really know (laughs) what inspires that pattern. Um, But we always have something like we just brought in writer's tears, um, copper pot, still, still Irish whiskey. Irish whiskey has been one of those, one of those um, categories that I've had my eye on for the last few years, because in 2006, 2014, so six years ago, there were nine distilleries 
in Ireland. Nine. Today, there are 88. So I am, I'm, I'm super excited to see what's, what's coming out of Ireland. Um, I was looking at, at, at some statistics and what it seems like uh, from what I could loosely get into is that overall, most of them, most of these distilleries are producing gin. Um, um, and so, and, and I think that makes sense as, as younger uh, distilleries, you know, we see that here in the U S too, right. You know, new distilleries put out vodka and gins first um, before producing their whiskeys. So I, I imagine that we're going to start seeing a huge influx of Irish whiskeys hitting the market in the next year or two. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely, um, I mean, what I'm drinking tonight, Kinahan's is an example of that. They're sourcing whiskey right now, but they're currently refurbishing an old distillery and getting that set up. So it's, it's definitely, I mean, I mean if you look, are going by Irish law, it has to be aged at least three years. So if you're talking, you know, a growth of 80 plus distilleries in six years, you know, some of them, like you're starting to see it, like more stuff is starting to come out, but there are a lot of people who are still sourcing from, you know, Jameson, Bushmills, all these different places. Um, yeah. Yeah. A lot Julie, of Middleton. Yeah. And you find yourself in uh, an extremely qualified position here because you actually work in an Irish bar in Sacramento. Yeah, that's true. Uh, the, the Snug is the secret, most authentic Irish pub, I think, in California. Uh, when we when we break it down as to what we're doing in there, um, but it is it definitely flies under the radar, which is kind of fun. yeah. I, I you know I love that bar so much, and it does have this very unique lived in feeling, despite the fact that it hasn't been lived in for very long. Um, mm -hmm. Which yeah. I thought, especially was really, not this really, year. Especially <laughs> yeah. not this year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's definitely cut back on the living in. But, you know, being in that position and, you know, you guys create, you know, some of the best cocktails and really, like I said, cultivated this really amazing environment. Do you see people coming in and, and going for, because you guys also have an extensive collection just of things in general. Like, are do you see a gravitation towards higher end Irish whiskeys or does it just kind of like, hey, you're just in the setting and that doesn't necessarily play an influence? Or what's your experience been with, with higher end Irish whiskeys? Uh, you know, the thing that stands out to me, especially in the ones that we're mentioning today, is the the spots. Um, we, I think, if if anything that's not your kind of quintessential brand recognition Irish whiskeys, uh, the the green dot yellow, uh, green spot, yellow spot, red spots, those are the things that I see being called out by consumers, not uh, as an influence from staff. Um, or if they were influenced by staff to try it once, it's the thing that people will come back and remember and order again. Though they've, those are beautiful products that um, we definitely move through very well. Um, so I've seen a, especially Irish whiskey. I've worked in several different whiskey focused bars throughout my career. Um, as far as Irish whiskey goes, outside of you know your your staples with Redbreast, Tullamore Dew, and Jameson, the, the, those spot statements are. Uh, they're doing really, really well over the last year. I've noticed. Yeah, I know for myself the um, the red spot, which is the 15 year uh, mm -hmm. expression, was one of the first times where an Irish whiskey kind of blew my mind. Where I was like, yeah. I was like, I can't believe this is good because, and I'm I'm definitely not anti Irish whiskey or anything, but 
there was always for me something a little bit like lacking from it and and again it comes with more experience and trying new stuff but you know and i've enjoyed like the green spot and everything like that but having the red spot i was like what is going on here like this is amazing this is really really special stuff and then i've had some since then like some independent bottlings of different iris whiskeys and yeah they really really are doing cool stuff so it'll be i mean the, the numbers show it like i said i mean you have more and more companies the bigger ones investing into Irish whiskeys and so i think mm-hmm. it's 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 going to be continue to to grow and i'm i'm excited for it i mean you know anytime you go from eight distilleries to 88 and considering the history of of Irish whiskey. It's good. You know, it's exciting times. It's, it's fun to watch. Just got, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's definitely an exciting, uh, facet of, of the, the whiskey world to see grow. Cause I mean, I think that's the most growth I've, I've seen in, in my humble decade in this industry, but it is exciting to see Irish whiskey. Cause I think for a long time, Irish whiskey was kind of a starting point uh, for whiskey consumers. And now it seems like uh, something we get to explore and enjoy in a little more of a complex way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, cause you know what Jameson has like a 95% bar coverage, you know, which is one of the most mm-hmm. insane, um, you know, bar presence that you can have. And then to be able to take that and then now be able to apply to your new drinkers plus your more seasoned, you know, drinkers is amazing uh cool all yeah, right so moving i um i uh sorry uh, to interrupt you i no no go ahead i i think irish whiskey also is is one of those uh genres that just you know like like you were saying like it's a starter genre but i also kind of like poo-pooed right like the i think a lot of seasoned drinkers ignore irish whiskey very much the same way that they do like sort of like canadian whiskey yeah, uh, i was they, thinking the same thing <laughs> you know it's like the, yeah. the people people just don't they don't take it that seriously. It's for, it's, it's for the dive bar. It's not, it's not like um, you're not getting craft, you know, artisanal spirits coming out of coming out of those countries. Um, when in fact, now we have artisanal spirits coming out of everywhere. You know, I've yeah. been watching, I've been watching Nordic, um, you know, the, the emergence of Nordic Nordic single malts onto the, uh, onto the global stage now for the last couple of years. And it's super interesting. It's really freaking cool. And then watching whiskeys also coming from the Southern hemisphere of like Australia, New Zealand, South Africa. So it's really, really cool. Yeah. And I, I think, I think anybody now, you know, if you're a self-proclaimed whiskey lover, you should, you should be eagerly looking for, for, you know, booze coming out of these places. Do you, do you think that perception and, you know, both you guys can, can speak to this because of your experience. Like, do you think that perception of, of kind of more of the divey bar thing or like just a shop product is, is largely due because of the reputation of something like Jameson. Totally. It's a, you know, the, it's the Jack Daniels also uh problem, right? You know, uh, it's, it's a, it's a product of its own success. Yeah. yeah. So it, it, it's, it's hard to break away from what's doing so well and have it be considered something that's, that's of a certain value when, I don't know, when, it's the highest consumed spirit. So people, you know, it's the, it's the green day effect, you know, everybody likes it. Therefore it can't be that good. <laughs> right. Absolutely. I mean, I, I totally agree. <laughs> it does have that. It, it does have that effect. And I think it, especially from the, the bartending um, consumer facing side of it, um, 
it's also that consistency thing. Uh, you try to get someone to branch out into a whiskey and if one in 30 places, the consumer is going to go has that thing you show them, they're going to revert back to what they know is always there. And so the, just trying to get people to consistently open their concept of what whiskey is in a category that it isn't always just Jameson. It isn't always Tullamore Dew Redbreast, that, that there's these other marks, there's the other smaller distilleries. It, it takes a long time, I think, for people to get comfortable with the idea that they can start calling things outside of what they uh, assimilate with that category. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, this is something that we've talked about on the podcast before is that, you know, the bar is such an ego driven uh, spot that the last thing you want to do is potentially take a leap on something that you don't like. And now you're paying for something or you're not familiar with it. So what do you do? You, you fall back on, Oh, Jameson. And then as an extension of that, you're like, well, it's Irish whiskey. It's the most popular one. So all Irish whiskey must taste like this. Right. Right. So yeah. Yeah. It's a, you know, it's kind of, like dealing with with a lot of rum drinkers who's like oh it all tastes like captain morgan right it's like oh god yeah no no <laughs> yeah it's it's Nightmare. so diverse it's so different um but you know you have these industry leaders who for better or worse have you know put a a flavor profile or a, you know a, a reputation into people's minds of what this is going to be so um but as we've all discussed, I mean, seeing seeing the the growth and movement towards your more high end offerings, your older whiskeys, you know, sherry cask influences, like you know, not just your standard stuff. It's 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 uh it's fun. It's refreshing to see. So uh, okay, but now we're gonna move on to the to our second thing, and actually, you know, keeping with with a little bit of the rum talk, is Don Q is going to be expanding their portfolio to now include a seven-year-old rum it'll be a column and pot distilled blend uh, aged in bourbon barrels and will be part of their new launch with their new bottles design as well what do you guys think of just dunk you in general and you know is there any excitement level for you to kind of see them coming out with something new so i'll start with uh start with julie what do you think uh you know i'm generally a pretty big fan of Don Q. Um, so if you want to, if they want to put something new out there, I'm, I'll, I'm definitely game to, to taste and experience anything that they're playing with. Um, uh, I, you mentioned that they're doing this, this is a new seven-year-old, uh, rum, right? Yes. Yeah. It's, I, I like an aged rum. I, I like something that has a little more character to it. Um, big fan of bourbon. So there's, all around, there's nothing I'm really opposed to or not excited about. I think that Don Q does a really great job in in their distilling practices, and so I'm I'm looking forward to it. Nice. And then how about how about for you, Chris? I I'm on I'm on the same page. Uh, I mean, I think this is this is an obvious um, play to jump into the market uh, with um, with Bacardi and with Havana Club. And to who somehow somehow be relevant in that in that discussion, which seems a little seems a little silly, but considering how much of the marketplace and the market share both those brands cover, and and uh, it, it it just sort of I it makes sense, but it seems petty. I don't know if that's the right right. <laughs> 
right word, but um but you know, fuck it. I, I, I'm a huge fan of Don Q. Um I I love their single barrel expressions. Their um Don Q on Yeho is one of my one of my favorite rums. Um right net right next to Bacardi eight um for that category. I mean it's just just completely truly lovely uh rums just to to mix with and to drink and they're neither one of those are are terribly expensive also so they're completely price approachable um don q is one of the really really neat uh distilleries because they i i'd like them uh to do it if for nothing other than my own edification because i'm really nerdy but they um they could potentially come out with a bottled and bond rum which i think would be really fucking cool because uh, um, their their warehouses are still bonded, because um, it's Puerto Rico. Well, oh, that would be cool. Um, and and as a price point for this one, it is their the suggested retail on it is going to be twenty five dollars. So it's going to put it right into that same range as, um, as you like the Havana Club and the Bacardi Eight. So you know they're definitely focusing on that on that target. Um, and even just trying to get some market share would make sense because I think what a lot of people underestimate is like Don Q is a pretty big producer. Um, mm-hmm. They pump out a lot of rum and not necessarily just for themselves either, you know? Right. And it's, right. Um, you know, I think when people talk, it was like, oh yeah, Bacardi does a huge, like does a lot, but you know, some of the other big players are, you know, Don Q does a ton and Foursquare does a ton and people just don't talk about how big they actually are which i which always surprises me about those brands you know or about well those you know you know unfortunately they share a very tiny island with with a you know a behemoth you know so right. when when you talk about puerto rican rum or rum in general not only are you talking about one of the largest rum producers in the world you're also talking about one of the largest spirit producers in the world yeah and that, you know and that's bacardi so they're just they're just dwarfed um but, you know it, it's important to know that you know Don Q also tends to be the uh, the preferred rum of the island as opposed to Bacardi. Um, and I'm sure I'm going to get some flack from Bacardi friends <laughs> and I know for saying that, but... Um, no more free trips for you, buddy. Hey, man, they both paid for me, so I'm good to go either way. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but, well, I mean, especially after one of our next stories but uh uh uh, but those are completely uh, unrelated (laughs) yeah right um but i i love that uh sorry uh don don q also is working uh aggressively to be to reach a negative carbon footprint as well as in terms of distillery and i think that's really fucking cool um Well, hey, all the little things matter right now, especially to hippies like you. So that's a fact. Uh, but that does actually perfectly lead into our next story, and um, and one that it's I don't know. Sometimes you just you just wonder to yourself, how do you miss this or? <laughs> <laughs> like how like how does this happen still today? Right. And what we're talking about is Bacardi just recently announced a new low ABV um product that's called Plum and Petal that's bottled at 20%. Um and you know, it has these different flavors like tea leaves and all kinds of other fun stuff that 
the marketing company decided to say it was designed by women for today's women intended to be enjoyed by other women. Um, this was a product designed by Shelly Menz, who is the senior beverage scientist who created this product as, you know, to satisfy the demand for low calorie and low alcohol alternatives. Um, it was the thought process behind it was more of like the mindfulness movement of trying to, you know, know what you're drinking and stuff like that. But the marketing team that came in and the PR agency have positioned this product as something that's exclusively for women. And it's finally a product for women, which of finally. course, what, right. Which of course pissed off so women long. all over the world. Um, one what? of, one of my, one of my favorite quotes was actually from um, was from Don Davies, and and Don is the purchaser for the Whiskey Exchange, which is the biggest online retailer in the world. Uh, she's amazing, and so when this was announced, this is this is what she said: "Well, my fucking god, this is a beauty." So apparently, as a fucking woman, I like low alcohol tea and no fucking flavor. Well, Bacardi, I like my alcohol strong, preferably cast strength, and hate tea and petals. And for the last time, I and for the last time I looked, I was all fucking women, multiple exclamation points. Um, and I think I think she echoes a lot of this the sentiment that people feel around this industry. So, Julie, when we sent this story to you today, what were your thoughts? What were your feelings? I mean, I picked up on this uh, when it was released uh they did their first press release uh was about a week ago um and i my i i saw it on facebook uh, i think on jackie summer's facebook page um and i i think my response was bacardi someone get your people like learn how to read a room um like it's it it just shocks me um not only that they had a PR. I, I understand that this was largely in part to poor marketing, but one, uh, Hamilton, don't sue me. I just want to be in the room when that happened. Like who said yes? Who sat around that table and said, fuck yeah, that's that's the pitch right there. That's the line. That's the go-to. Like the fact that we know from working in this industry, from working with brands that decisions like these aren't one person who just in the middle of the night, like sneak something through. We know that this is a, a multi-step, multi-approval uh, campaign. And the fact that it made it past all of those screening tests and those different layers of, of approval. Um, and, and then for it to launch, it was like two weeks after they had their big, like global women's women in the industry summit where they're like talking about like equality in the industry and like bringing women to the table and like how women are supposed to be this like equal force. And then this is the next uh, marketing campaign that they launched to me. I'm just like, who, how many, it's like that meme of Spider-Man pointing at each, at himself. Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like who did, who yeah. said yes. Um, right. And it's, and it's infuriating because meanwhile, your number one salesperson isn't your brand rep. Your number one salesperson is your bartenders. And as a, a, a woman who is also a bartender, I'm not a female bartender. Um, as a woman who's also a bartender, I've, I've spent a decade in bars saying, 
you know, booze doesn't have a gender, drinks don't have gender, we don't gender our glassware, we're an equal opportunity cocktail consuming uh, establishment. Uh, You know, it's just one more thing that we're just like, dude, I can't like fucking help me help you, please. You know, Uh, (laughs) that's what it really comes down to. Right. Um, I have two two thoughts on this, uh, on at least on what you, I have many thoughts on this, but I, specifically to what Julie said, A, about being in the room. I, once, once a product like Vanique hit, hit the marketplace, um, do we, do we remember Vanique? Oh, was yes, the, uh, absolutely. The Gallo, Gallo, um, vermouth that was also glittery and oh, yes. uh, mm-hmm. meant meant to be consumed in clubs mm-hmm. um once does Vanique product- predate queen or does queen come first oh you know what i don't know because <laughs> that to me is the one that stands out in my <laughs> personal uh experiences and that that was that same moment that i had which is like i i can imagine this coked up executive room you know we're like you know what's really hot right now guys vermouth you know what we're gonna do we're gonna put vermouth in clubs we're gonna put glitter in that (laughs) shit so it sparkles underneath the lights (laughs) and everyone's like dog that's amazing yeah (laughs) like what what are you thinking and yeah this this is just as bad this is this is bad, but I I have to ask one one devil's advocate question, if I may. Is this going to end up uh, in the same realm as Jane Walker, uh, where people people lash out and they go, "Fuck, this is stupid, this is terrible," and then they go, "Okay, well, all right, fine, I guess this is okay," in some roundabout way. Is your are you of the opinion that Jane Walker turned out to be okay, fine, or that it had such a I I mean. That to me, I never even saw a bottle on a shelf anywhere. Yes, I will after. second. Yes. I will second that. Um, I have, I, think, I have, de- I've, I've definitely seen it on the shelf, and it is still in, uh, is still for sale. Uh, and uh, uh, Southern continues to purchase more of it, and I have seen it still on shelves. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> in my, in my opinion, the, the, the Jane Walker thing. I mean, I think that like my feelings are still hurt from Jane Walker. So it's, it's a little bit <laughs> sensitive. It's a little raw. Uh, it's a little raw for yeah, you. Yeah, it's a little raw. Um, in terms of the plume and petal, at least on the face of the bottle itself, we're not being patronized or being told that we're invited to drink this by putting a a, a woman's parody on the label, both in name and visual. Um, because I don't, I don't hate the concept of this product line. I exclusively hate the marketing. Whereas with Jane Walker, it's like you literally told us that if we put a woman on the bottle, that women will buy it. Like suddenly you have female scotch drinkers, which I think was a way more fuck you to whiskey whiskey consumers who identify as women than than anything else. Does that make sense? Like you had to dumb the the label down to making it a woman with a woman with a picture of a woman, uh, when we clearly knew who made that and what that really is. It's a his and hers, which is so fucking stupid and booze. Whereas, like, I don't hate the concept of plume and petal. I just disagree with the marketing tactic. If that makes sense. Uh, 
you can't see me, but I'm emphatically shaking my head yes to everything that yeah. you said. Um, I, I, <laughs> I, uh, I have been continuously unnerved by the genderized uh, bar culture um, mm-hmm. concept of consumption uh, over over the damn near two decades I've been behind a bar. Uh, it's just yeah. never made it has never made sense to me, and it never it never held up, especially being that I come from. Uh, family, a family where both of my grandmothers could outdrink almost any frat boy I'd ever met. So, yeah. um, you know, and and that that comes from wine, that comes from whiskey, it comes from gin, like all around, like it did not matter. Um, so so it never it never made sense to me. Um, this this the Jane Walker in was such a ridiculous concept, but I think that what people sort of backpedaled from were was that there was a, there was a woman somewhere involved in, in the process. Right. Some, and that, yeah, there was one woman. Yeah. Yeah. And this, and this, this product, uh, the, the plume and petal plume and petal read exactly the same way to me. Mm-hmm. Um, when I, when I was reading this, it's like, Oh, buy a woman for a woman, but it, it wasn't just buy a woman for a woman. It was like buy a woman for a woman at a spa. Because all women go right. to spas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All, all, all women go to spas and they drink at the country club, uh, and they drink their twenty percent vodka, which again, not not vodka. Um, you know, yeah, while it, while they're getting their nails vodka. done and they're right. like, what 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 the fuck is this? Everything about this um, concept of who should be consuming this is so acute, and therefore massively offensive to literally everybody else right yeah yeah it all and it also yeah it, it says that uh it's demasculate like, like it, it it's uh i'm gonna stutter because i've had this is my fifth um pachuca during this conversation welcome uh, to the good bottle podcast <laughs> tell, tell your friends it's, we have a good time here. <laughs> it's, it's demasculating to anyone outside of that market target right so now if you i mean and and the irony to me is uh at least in sacramento far more of my uh male identifying friends and uh colleagues are the health conscious drinkers than my female identifying friends if i'm being quite frank so it's also like you created this product that like the ideology behind being a little bit more conscious a lower abv drinking more, uh, you know, carefully and how, and calorie counting and not, you know, getting shit tanked every time you decide you want to have a a cocktail to subscribe to that. Now you've also excluded a, a, a vast majority of the people who might otherwise be really intrigued by a product line like this, which I think is also insulting that why, you know, you're, you're telling men that they can only drink a certain thing also. Um, oh, 100%. Definitely. I mean, I, so I mean that's yeah. like, you hit the, hit the nail on the head with that. I mean, that's, uh, uh, talk about like also just missing the opportunity and not being mm-hmm. able to, re- not being able to act, actually read the room. Right. Exactly. Right? <laughs> and, um, and just as like a, a personal qualm, anyone who puts gluten free on their bottle, like as a person who's allergic to gluten, uh, it really pisses me off that that is now a marketing tool because you're the reason why chefs hate people with allergies um, because we've now come, we've, they're, they're perpetuating a culture where uh, 
gluten-free is a lifestyle choice and not something that can make people very sick. Uh, and I fucking hate anyone who's a part of that. Anyway, I hate product marketing strategies that, that perpetuate that as well. Absolutely. Just as a personal yeah. aside, as a, as a person who can't have gluten and I have to look at people every day and say, oh, you can drink whiskey. I promise. Um, I drink whiskey. I'm allergic to gluten too. We're going to get this. Do you want to drink it together? You know, um, <laughs> people, get really, just people a, get really offended at me, uh, offended at me, mm-hmm. offended with you, of, of me, by you? from me, by me, offended Find by you me, offensive? which is pretty typical anyway, but really, I'm going to uh, say <laughs> <laughs> they find me offensive when I start questioning, uh, uh, what sort of uh, allergy that they have when they talk to me about their gluten allergies, um, considering as I'm in the same boat as you are, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. it's when you're you just say, well, if you have this reaction, uh, it's probably not, you know, gluten. It, it might be something else. It might be something far more dangerous. Uh, and then people get very upset. Or when you suggest that, no, this is fine. You can do this. Um People don't like being questioned in that in that way, even if yeah. even if it's coming from a hospitality perspective of you're just trying to like keep them alive and serve them something enjoyable. Yeah, absolutely. I I think um, I think you guys have hit a lot of kind of what what I feel about a lot of this stuff. So I don't need to reiterate it too much, uh, but I did want to touch on. I've never understood that that level of targeted marketing. You know where you do turn people off, whether it be, you know, people identifying as male or female or whatever the case may be. Like, you know, we've seen that done with whiskeys. It's like, you know, a whiskey finally for a woman. It's just kind of like, what is the thought process here? Finally. Um, yeah. You know, and it's and and even to to the point where there's nothing gimmicky about it. So let's say there's like flavors or lower ABV. It's just kind of like you know, again, it's like that old thing of like, oh, it's designed by women, like with the women's palette in mind. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like this women who are, are, are like, uh, by and large, super tasters, like multiple times over to men, those palettes. 100%. <laughs> That's yeah. the thing that, yeah. I would, I would love to see that as the marketing campaign. Make right. that the make that the marketing campaign. That would be a, a low ABV product line for super tasters, which are mostly women. That would be incredible. That would be amazing. Yeah, that would like, be like like yeah. it's it's like the uh, strong enough uh, made for a woman, strong enough, I guess, for a man. Like like, <laughs> like like men are also kind of allowed to drink it, but this is like really meant for people who truly get it. Yeah. Yeah, who, un- who understand nuance within flavor so, someone yeah. get Bacardi on the phone we, yeah. we can repitch this to them <laughs> well and the reality too is like this they're saying it's American grain which means that means that it's not Grey Goose which um, you know okay fine uh, not that I have a very high opinion of Grey Goose um, but but what it also means is that this is probably still house right like they, they probably they're pr- probably taking still house whiskey white whiskey distilling it to the point of vodka and then using that just the way Stillhouse could like stay in, you know, make some money because you know how many people love their moonshine right now. Um, That, and and you just reminded me of another uh, false value, uh, whatever incentive that, that I I read about this product, which was, yeah, the six distilled six times. It's like, guys, if anyone knows anything about distillations, we know that that's, that's just to say you did it. That's not to say you've made a quality product and 
I, that's another thing where it's like, great. Now I'm going to have to talk to people who are like, well, was it distilled six times? It's like, oh, do you even know what fucking distillation is? <laughs> like, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's just a very pandery, uh, interesting, interestingly worded, uh, marketing. Well, and, and, and I look at this as, you know, unfortunately, this industry as a whole has a has a long way to go um mm-hmm. just when it comes to making more educated and informed decisions and it, it's kind of like a microcosm of much bigger issues that exist within our industry and i you know one of the reasons that we wanted to bring you in as well is because you know you have this unique experience where like you know you've worked in the bay area you're working up here in sacramento like you work as a brand ambassador so you have all these different experiences and you have all these you know like this that you've been able to cultivate over you know the past 10 years and so you know taking this as kind of like the prompt for the story like are there other things that you've seen within this industry that like you're just you're sick and tired of seeing or you know that you just kind of be like i'm so done with being pitched this way because i'm a i'm a female or because i'm trying to pitch this as are are there any other things that like come to mind like when you think of like it's like oh if you think this is bad let me tell you about this (laughs) (laughs) yeah Uh, how long do we have i'm pouring myself another glass of uh, pisco so go ahead Uh, i mean (laughs) you know there are microaggressions that women in this industry experience, myself included, daily that, I mean, this podcast would have to turn into like a, a I don't know, a, a verbal epic poem to really cover because it is, it is, it is really daily. But I also, uh, you know, if so long as you don't feel that I'm going too off topic here, um, it's not just women, it's, it's every um, facet of, of marginalized populations in our industry that are experiencing things like this, that they're just as sick of, whether it's based on gender, uh, sexual orientation, race. Um, you know, I think the, the biggest thing for me that I, if you want to know what I'm sick of, it's, 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 and, and no, no offense towards the, uh, wonderful hosts that are on the other end of, of these microphones. Um, I'm, I'm a little bit, I'm just, I think I'm mostly just tired of, uh, white male narratives being the narratives in our industry. Um, oh, fucking a. absolutely. And uh, yeah, yeah I mean, and, and, there's and no offense taken. We're, we're, yeah. we're, we're, we're both fully on board with that. It's just, yeah. We yeah. We're just going to delete this episode after. Cause <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. We gave you the form. And, yes, <laughs> right. Um, so, <laughs> um, I think, I, I mean, truly, I think that's it for me that when I, when we do get to see, um, Black people, people of color, uh, being brought up to the to the the focal point or the surface of our industry. We see women being brought up to that focal point of the service industry. Uh, just how fucking hard they have to work to get there, and the 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 bones in their own backs that they have to break, and the sleepless nights, and the lost lack of time with the, their their families and their communities for them to just be given even like a sliver of attention um, and how quickly and easily it is to fall from that grace when you are a marginalized person in industry, just so that a white man can speak for you, can speak over you, can speak uh, against you and be listened to and pro- and praised for 
whatever they have to say, even if it's exactly what you said, you know, three years earlier. I think that that's like the big tired point. And I think that we saw that. I I think we're dealing with it right now. I think that beyond our industry, we're dealing with that right now in the, in the most meaningful way. But I think that's the thing that's, that's just got me really tired. I mean, it, it's pushed me out of a lot of places that I wanted to be more impactful in to contribute more to, because at the end of the day, it's just exhausting. And, um, I wish I could think of the woman who said it to me, but there was a point in my career where I thought about leaving our industry and um, I was reminded by, gosh, I'm, I, I'm blanking on who it was, but I, I another female industry leader in the Bay Area who reminded me that uh, men apply for jobs in this industry that they're underqualified for and women apply for jobs and have panic attacks that they're, you know, one and a half times overqualified for and that we have to just specifically speaking to the female facet of our industry dynamic, uh, kind of stop letting that be the case. Um, and it, I don't necessarily have a, a solution for any of that other than being loud and annoying and pissing people off. But, um, yeah, I think, yeah, I just, I think, Every time you think that you see a white guy doing something cool, I bet if you spent 10 minutes looking it up, you'd find someone else who's something else doing something cooler. And and it's there. The content is there. The voices are there. The creativity, the talent's there. And, and we just need to start creating an evil, equal playing field for people outside of that uh, echo chamber in our industry, I think. I want to. No, I, I, think, I, I want to I piggyback think, on that. I think that's solid. Uh, yeah, yeah, go I, ahead, Chris. Yeah, I want to piggyback on that, and and, and I think what personally what frustrates me, I think about about this um, Bacardi product, is that it it so clearly defines who has access to capital and opportunity to create something, mm-hmm. and and it specifically is messaged towards those exact people as well. When we were talking, Drew, uh, either, uh, what our, our last episode on, on, um, uh, which company was it? I apologize. Who was investing all that money into, into, um, developing alternative voices. And I hate that term, but it, it wasn't Diageo. It was constellation brands. Oh, that's right. They you were know, both doing in, similar programs, but Constellation yeah, in, was a little bit ahead of them on it. Yeah, into finding in, into finding other voices and gaining them access and capital because mm-hmm. it's so desperately needed in this industry. Yeah. Um, just to echo what what uh, Julie was saying, and I think that that's what really irritates me, you know, like this this Diageo product is so clearly meant for, you know, Deborah and Bridget at the spa. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Before Diageo also like unfriends you. (laughs) It's a Bacardi product. (laughs) Did I say did I say Diageo? Yeah. You did. You did. It's okay. Pisco talks. Well, I I think, you know, from Go ahead. uh, from from the perspective, you know, of the uh, of the male voices and stuff and something that me and Chris have talked about over the past couple months, um, whether it be products or 
positions that you know that that we've held and stuff is that you know right now you're like I like the fact that you're like like I don't have the answers you know like I don't I don't know what the what the magic theory is here that's going to fix all this stuff but I think from our perspective as like these these people constantly put into better and better positions it's kind of i i refer to it as you know we just need to take the l right now and just and you know take the loss and listen because we're not going to make this any better and there's no way that we can say things that's just going to be like oh yeah of course he had the answer the whole time it's like no we're just going to sound like bigger assholes and so (laughs) you know and so with that being the case i'm used to so it's fine yeah, well, but and you're like, and a, you're totally you're like, right, you're like though. A, you're like an endearing asshole. Like this is like this is like not liking somebody asshole. And you know, and and I kind of bring this back to what we did, you know, a month ago when we were having the conversation about black-owned products, and you were complaining about the fact that you couldn't find any. And I was like, well, you've never asked before, and that's on us. And that's like yep. we do have this level of influence, and and even with like this this podcast and some of the guests that we've had recently like we're when we originally started talking about this like we never thought that we wanted to have guests right it was always just going to be the banter between me and you because this is what we do all the time and then as you come across these stories and you start to see like well i can't speak to this i don't have that experience so it's important for us to bring people in and you know whether it was a couple weeks ago when we had tesh when you have you know somebody of indian descent who's a who's a sommelier and the things that he's experienced over his career or even you know tonight like i'm so happy that you joined us because you're able to give a perspective that we just simply cannot and we'll never be able to you know so i I, I just go ahead i appreciate it no i just appreciate you coming on and, and being able to to share these things that we can't speak to. No, I, I, and I, and I appreciate you reaching out. I mean, when you, when you kind of just gave me the two second pitch on the synopsis of what you wanted to talk about, it's, this is exactly the opportunity you want to talk about something where we're calling to question the tastefulness of branding female products as if booze can be gendered to reach out to somebody because uh, as far as I know, please feel free to correct me. You both don't identify as women. Um, nope. And, and it's, it, it, I do, I do appreciate that. I think that that's exactly what has to happen. And um, you know, speaking of you saying, sometimes you just have to take the L uh, I had a conversation today with a family friend who is also a psychologist. We were talking about just the general uh, culture climate right now. Um, and my big thing is, um, it's a, like, it, there's nothing wrong with being wrong uh, so long as you're listening. So it's that thing of, and you know, we're talking about, you mentioned how there's been these conversations about like, hey, these brands that make these huge missteps, uh, you know, the other side of that is these brands that make big promises about correcting pr- prior missteps, but they only want to correct it once they have it beautifully packaged with a bow with a marketing campaign behind it. And it's like, that's, not any better like we just all need to say you know we fucking suck we lost this we we were wrong and and taking immediate baby steps towards being better and changing directions the second that okay we tried this that wasn't good either like never being satisfied with trying and only trying to continue to like evolve and learn and use new information as it comes to you to to better ourselves. I think that's really the only thing we can do in our industry because 
no one has all the information. No one's ever going to get it perfectly right because none of us experience anything anyone else is experiencing. Right. Yeah, I think I think far too often people just dig in and they don't want to take the loss and admit and admit fault. And and even with the story tonight, I thought it was really it was really interesting to see the phrasing of how of how Bacardi went about it. It was there was them and there was the product and then there was the PR agency who went rogue and <laughs> you know did this thing is like we believe in this product and we believe in our you know our master scientist and the eight years that she put into developing this and then mm-hmm. but also this can we talk message... about eight years for for watered down vod flavored vodka right yeah <laughs> sorry can we like okay. that's like we should not we should like we should not ignore that yeah 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 well i mean you know if you're trying to accurately depict a female spa you gotta put the time in so uh, you gotta hit a lot of spas i guess you yeah i don't know it's just um oh man also the idea that anything you came up with eight years ago is just equally relevant by the time you launched that product that nothing was it almost insinuates that you you stuck to your guns on on what you came up with eight years ago and i i mean i know what i was doing eight years ago and i know the level of respect i got as a female eight years ago in this industry and that's wildly different than than even today you know yeah so yeah there's certainly there's certainly a lot to be to be said about that where you're you're just not again you're not reading the room and Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think that's that's also a really amazing way to look at it. It was like, yeah, eight years ago, not a good call. That was yeah. <laughs> I mean, eight months ago, that wasn't a good call, you know. So right, eight, yeah. Charles Schumann let us know eight months ago how we all felt about these things. You had oh eight months God. to pivot. <laughs> oh, you know? that was painful. Wow, yeah. that was a good one. That yeah. was a nice and, callback. There's a lot of people I don't think who who uh, even know what that reference is, but that was. That was solid. That one like Thank hit you. home for. That was good. Um. So, so we we obviously know what what Charles did and I I or what he said. Um. But for our for our listeners at home, who Julie, would you like to tell the story of of um, you know, the things that the things that he said and how he felt about female bartenders. Um, in the quickest, uh, least painful way. Uh, Charles Schumann is uh, a a German bar icon who is also an author um, and he has been uh, heavily accoladed for his triumphs in in the modern cocktail bar revitalizing the classic cocktail movement Uh, and last year during the world's best 50 bars he was um, once again, awarded with having one of the most prestigious uh, programs for his bar. Oh, the American bar. Um, And he's also been recorded several times throughout his career as um, basically saying that women are, are like furniture in bars that uh, you'll never find a quality woman behind a bar after three o'clock. And that you, you hire women to be, to bring customers in, not to actually like prove, uh, serve any kind of uh, 
worthy purpose. And so top 50 bars was, um, was, was not, uh, we didn't let that go quietly. And it started a big movement about women behind the bar after three, um, which I mean, if anyone who's listening has ever, 3 PM. Yeah. We should say 3 PM. That's right. Women behind the bar after 3 PM. Yeah. So if you're not doing the lunch shift, you, you don't really do anything, but look nice. And, uh, your furniture was basically his, his sentiment. Um, and uh and the world let top 50 bars know that that was not tight of them to ignore because it's recorded in multiple uh formats and um i think if you search the hashtag for charles schumann you just see a bunch of badass ladies behind the bar after three o'clock now which is a win in my book yep yeah absolutely yeah i mean and and again it's like it was, it was a, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't, I guess we're at a better point now where we're no longer letting those things slide as a community. Because like, as, as you pointed out, like he said shit like that for a long ass time, you know? And uh, I mean, I had heard of the bar, but I didn't know. Like if you just would have said his name to me, you know, a year ago, I would not have known who you were talking about, but I knew right. of the bar. And then as soon as you get that association, you're just kind of like, oh, wow, what a real piece of crap like that. Yeah. Is just, that's just insane. But that's what it, but it took that for me to finally figure out, you know, oh, this guy was in charge of this thing. And, you know, and there just shouldn't be that much effort that has to go in to get rid of these people or to move on from these people. You know, and it, and it, yeah, and it goes back to the same thing of just like you know, you, if you think that what Charles Schumann's doing is cool, like I bet you, I mean, with that hashtag, women behind the bar after three, we we learned really quickly how many women are doing things that are just as cool, if not cooler, than whatever he was up to, um, and and that we don't need to we don't need to focus on on fossils like Charles Schumann in order to celebrate the cool things going on in our industry that wasn't an ages comment that was just he said <laughs> <of his> ideology <laughs> yeah great now we're gonna get emails from retirement homes great um listen Rick okay, Dobbs, we don't have any listeners, o- listeners over the right age now. of like uh, 75 so it's fine oh, okay yeah well so mm-hmm. all i have to worry about is stops and mm-hmm. we'll get there um <laughs> well well speaking speaking of that um in terms of people that we actually do want to listen to, uh, you know, one of our newest segments is just kind of like our our follow Fridays or whatever the hell you want to call it. We'll come up with something fun eventually. We're not there yet, but um, so so I have someone, and hopefully, I know Julie, we didn't give you the most lead time on this, so it's okay if you don't have one. So I'll start off with mine, um, and my my follow this week is Maxwell Reese, who is known on Instagram as the Beer Ghost. Uh, he is the, I believe, bar manager at Gracias Madre in West Hollywood. And um, what I've come to really enjoy about his Instagram is how often he goes after shitty tequilas and celebrity tequilas. He comes up with really funny and hilarious memes. And as our listeners know, I despise celebrity tequilas. So... Mm. 
the fact that he creates memes around those that just destroys them and they're so funny i just think i think he's hilarious and in addition to you know the shitting on crappy agave products he also builds up the great ones and so you can learn a lot about different agave he's done a lot of you know traveling he has you know a, a pretty amazing back bar um obviously it's one that you can't go into right now but you know eventually the time will come where you'll be able to so again uh that's on instagram and that's beer ghost if you ever just want to laugh your ass off at some hilarious agave related memes uh he's your guy um chris who's your follow this week uh i'm gonna go with um lay le underscore parfum underscore montpellier and they are a bar in the north of france uh well i guess it's south of france sorry south of france but a completely uh, different direction yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I apologize i was thinking i was thinking north of <laughs> spain the songs because... in the room are pissed <laughs> <laughs> uh when i was when i was in barcelona i was trying to commit uh for for my honeymoon i was trying to convince my wife to go there <laughs> but it would have been like a three-hour train ride four-hour train ride and uh it, it wasn't gonna happen which that's fine, I guess, for a honeymoon. But I was, uh, I, I've been wanting to go there for a very, very long time. They make um, super gorgeous cocktails um, that are that are uh, decorated in ways that I, I haven't really seen before, and in ways that fit entirely with my uh, thinking it, it, with cocktails, um, it, which is, you know, at least in terms of garnishment, which is it should be pretty, but also still like usable uh unlike let's say um nightjar which i look at a lot of their cocktails and even though they're gorgeous i just i'm confused about how one drinks them uh, um, so so i really i they're doing really cool things with ice these guys are doing really cool things with uh garnishments and foams and and what have you so um lay parfum montpellier and that's what i got Awesome. Uh, Julie, did you, do you yeah. have someone? Okay, cool. Absolutely. What do you got? Uh, you know, uh, the, the person that I, I want to plug, her name is uh, Lauren Paler. Her Instagram handle is at LP drinks DC. Uh, she's a bartender and consultant in the DC area. And uh, she's somebody that I, I've, I've met in person very briefly in passing. We have lots of friends of friends, uh, but our online relationship has really um, become something super special to me over the last few months, especially during quarantine. She's just a salt of the earth, kick-ass human being. She has a ton of emotional labor for all of us on intersectional issues in our industry. Um, she's also one of the, in my mind, as a as a woman, a historic uh, female figure who was one of the three women who dominated the world class East Coast last year. When it was all all three of the women that advanced to the U.S. finals were all three were women. Uh, so she was one of those incredible badass babes. Um, so I I definitely want to give her give her a shout out. She's someone worth focusing on and paying attention to. She's doing tons of streaming content um interviews lifting up a lot of rad voices and also just somebody who 
uh, is encouraging even without being directly uh, engaged with you. Like she just, she's, she's rad. She, she's getting me through, through the, the quarantine depression, whether, whether we're talking directly one-on-one or not. And so I want to shout her out. That was at LP drinks DC. That's awesome. And, and I got to tell you that like makes me feel really good about some of the relationships that I've developed during quarantine. Um, mm-hmm. Cause I thought I was weird for that. Where like, I've like really developed these just friendships with people, um, you know, starting with social media and then just continue like, Oh, you know, always talking to each other, like running ideas across each other. I'm like, I'm like, okay, cool. I'm not the only one that makes me feel really good. <laughs> so yeah. uh, in, in terms of my own validation, Thank you for that. And that is definitely someone that I will, I am now following on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. So look at that. Your influence is already working. Hashtag um, influencer. I know. Uh, and then uh, Julie, want to give you just the last segment. What do you want to plug? Where, where can people find you? What should they be drinking? Get all your, get all your shameless plugs in now. Um, well, I work at the snug. We are currently on vacation. So that's a, a cruise we're calling the doobie bar, uh, here in Midtown in Sacramento. So if you want to follow our, our journey, it's at snug, CA on Instagram. Uh, I work for a spirit portfolio called CNI brands and our, our big pushes with Bunez Mescal. Uh, that's at Bonnez Mescal Artisanal on Instagram, um, along with the Combier, French liqueurs, and Aval ciders, and several other beautiful products. Um, if you want to find me on Instagram, where I periodically subject my boyfriend to my quarantini cocktails, uh, my Instagram handle is at Xanadu Julie. That's X A N A D U Julie. Um, but yeah, if you're in the Sacramento area, come on down to the Doobie Bar. We're also doing our our funny little uh, food pop up at the Devere's Pub with Snug Junior. Uh, it's a weird time, and we're just trying to be creative and give people a even a momentary escape, whether that's through a meal or a drink. So come come hang out with us and let's let's ride this wave together. It's rad. And both me and Chris can attest to how much fun uh, you guys are having. I haven't been to the Doobie Bar yet, but to be fair, it just started. So I yeah, I'll be there. I'll be there tomorrow and Tuesday. If you feel like joining me, come hang out. I think, uh, I think tomorrow I can make happen because I'm doing a rum tasting at the bird. So digitally. Uh, cool. All right. Uh, Chris, do you got anything else, buddy? No. <laughs> okay. Good. <laughs> well, um, Julie, thank you so much for for joining us. As you know, as I said earlier, it was a you know you you were able to bring a perspective that we couldn't bring to the table, and you delivered and then some. So you know, again, go out and um, follow her on Instagram. Go to her bar. Drink all of her cocktails. Uh, she does great tiki cocktails, by the way as well. Julie, um, I, I, I'll a, say, I, I will say one thing. Um, uh, Julie helped me up my uh, fire breathing game. <laughs> uh, I have been, I've been blowing fire for 12 years. 
and Julie, Julie taught me how to do it better. So I'll, I'll say that for sure. Thank you. Uh, uh, I get to put that on. Oh no, thank now. you. And every, <laughs> and, and thank God I own my own place now because, uh, every bar manager that I would have had, uh, probably would have not allowed you into the bar after hearing me say that. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exclusive 86 list. <laughs> uh, well, uh, again, Julie, thank you so much. You're the best. We do appreciate you. Um, you know, if 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 we go on long enough, we'll have to have you back, you know, as as a guest, because this was great. Yeah, uh, thank or, you so much. Or if we just fire Chris. Maybe we'll just do that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, it's really inevitable yeah. anyway, so it's fine. I'm used to it. Love your people. Love uh, my people. <laughs> we're in. We're in. Uh, okay, guys. Well, uh, with that, um, so we'll, we'll wrap it up. So, uh, cheers. Cheers. Adieu. The Good Bottle Podcast is a product of Fluid Concepts. Episodes are produced, edited, and uploaded by Christopher Sinclair. The music comes to us by two very talented brothers, Leon and Chase Moore. Interact and follow us on social media at The Good Bottle Podcast.